I want to welcome you to this teaching moment from Generations Christian Church. My name is Johnny Scott. I'm the senior pastor here at Generations. And one of my mentors told me long ago, as very young in ministry, he told me, so Johnny, the, the job of preaching, the job of a preacher at a local church is to whet the appetite of all everyone in the congregation for the Word of God. I really hope that in these next few moments as we dive into a text and see how God's Word is alive and active, that one thing happens, that you get hungry for the Lord. And here's what happens in, in that process. Uh, G Jesus is going to have you pour yourself out so He can pour Himself into you. See, the less of ourselves we have, the more room, the more capacity we have in our lives for God to pour in. It's someone that's completely full of themselves that says, I'm not hungry for God. To get hungry for God, the first thing you've got to do is pour out everything that you have so you're an empty vessel waiting to be poured into. That's my prayer for you as we walk into this teaching time, whether you're going to listen to it on a podcast or you're catching up in the week, uh, wherever you're at during this moment, would you become lesser so that God can become greater in you. It's going to give you joy and you're going to get more from this teaching time if that's your mindset as you walk into this. You know, one other thing I want to tell you before we dive into this teaching is this. Uh, I, I grew up a kid going to uh, the local church. It was a local church with a, a youth pastor and a group of elders and volunteers at that church that transformed my life in really one of the, the deepest, darkest times of my story. And I still believe that the local church is God's plan for the salvation of the world. So if you are a, consider yourself a, a vital part of Generations Christian Church, and maybe you're on vacation with your family and you're going to watch online or you're, you're catching up doing a workout, I, I want to say this. Make sure that you're involved. Make sure you're involved in church because you can get content from so many places. But what God wants for you is to be a part of a local church where you're serving and you're giving and you're pouring into what God is doing there because there's more for you than just hearing a message. And there's going to be something I'm sure great in this message that the Spirit of God is going to use to transform your life. But you're missing out on a larger part if you're not really involved. And so if you're not in close proximity to Generations Christian Church and you're enjoying this teaching and it's been meaningful in your life, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. Praise God for that. We're so excited to be able to bless you in this way. But I would, I would encourage you, find a church around you that you can serve and give at because that's God's ultimate plan is for all of us to be a part of the church because that's the bride that he's coming back for one day. Thanks for being with us today and may God use this teaching to bless your life. And welcome to church, everybody, this uh, last weekend here in June, right in the middle of the year, in the middle of the summer. And I believe that God is going to, through the power of his word, like, like completely transport us in our intellect, in our imagination to a walk he took one day. We're going to walk with Jesus. He's, he's in the town of Jericho. He's kind of leaving Jericho and he is ascending the mountain region around Jerusalem. And on this walk, there are all kinds of things that happen. And God's got something for you today in, in, in his word. If you're online, I want to say welcome. Welcome everyone and make the big announcement next week. 
Uh, as we gather as a church, we're going to do so in a way that I think is very, very biblical. It's how the, the early church did it. Home to home is what they did. They had, they had no central building that was always there. As a matter of fact, they used the temple many times, and they would just say, hey, you know that one porch at the temple? Let's meet there until they kick us out. That's what they would do. And lots of people would meet this way, and they would go to people's houses. And so for us to, every now and then throughout the year, a couple times a year, we have a Be the Church weekend. People say, well, you guys are canceling church. No, we're not. We're not canceling church. We're just going to do church differently. Some of us, uh, we leave our neighborhoods and the places that we, uh, you know, we call home, and we come to church every single Sunday morning, and we leave people that refuse to come with us. We leave people in that neighborhood that don't even know we go. So this is a Sunday we want to specifically set aside. Next weekend, this is July the 4th weekend, cook out. Make something that smells good. Lure them with food. Okay? Love on them. Take that time that you would normally be getting ready and getting in the car and arguing all the way to church. Redeem that time. Okay? And use it missionally. Just to have one connection with someone around you. This is how the gospel explodes into the places that we live. And so log on next week. I've actually already preached that message. And I am super excited about it because it declares very clearly that this is your time to accept Jesus. It is so gospel-centric. It's, the, it's a, a great message to you know, make everyone in your life uncomfortable. Right? Right? And so next week, that's the announcement. Uh, Be the church weekend. We are not here in service physically. Everyone's online next week for Be the church week. And it'll be regular church times, 930 and 11. So we're excited about that. Um, This is the last week in this series. You know, we, we do this, we, we kind of grab a series and an, an idea and run with it for a few weeks. And so this is the, the fifth week and final week in this series, Dirty is the New Holy. And if you've been around, you, you've, you've kind of tracked with us. If not, I would say I would encourage you to maybe catch up uh, if, you, if you've missed one of these, because really there is this progression in our holiness that happens. We are, you're like, man, I'm... I'm not a holy person. We're called to become holy, actually. First Peter 2, this is the core verse for this last five weeks. Like, this is the verse. Like, we got to talk about this and concentrate on this a little bit. Peter writes in his epistle, chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's how we're described. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We read this verse and we just thought we've got we've to explore this for a while. We're called to be holy. We're called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And there's so much in this force, and we started to realize that as we review, community is the first thing he calls us to. He calls us community. That's, that's why next week, Be the Church Weekend, is such an exciting weekend because I think for a lot of us, for me, it's, it's stretching at times. There's, there's reasons that you don't hang out with that one neighbor. They don't like you. Right? And so it's, it's stretching and the gospel is called, like the gospel calls us to community. We, we, 
A few weeks ago, we talked about how the, the gospel calls us to an attitude of gratitude, this giving attitude. And all of these things are tools in our life to help us grow in holiness. We are going to look at one today, and it's, it's found in Mark chapter 10. That's the text. We're going to go to Mark's account of the gospel, Mark chapter 10. And I want to give you a flyover real quick. I always like to know if I'm going to land in a passage, what's going on? What's already happened? Here's some of the things that happens in the book of Mark chapter 10. Jesus has some teachings at the very top of it about divorce. He's on a, he's on a trip with the guys. He talks a little bit about divorce. This is the famous spot where Jesus says, uh, let the kids come to me. Matter of fact, we should all have faith like these kids. These kids have got it down. This is where that happens. Be like these kids. The, the story of the rich young ruler in Mark's gospel is right here. Mark, is, he's kind of a to-the-point guy. Mark is an action-oriented guy. He's like, here's this happened, and then this happened. And so it's, I find it interesting that a third of everything Luke says in Luke's gospel is found between Mark 9 and Mark 10. A third of all of Luke's gospel can, can be like nestled into what Mark's like, yeah, then we did some stuff one time, right? Like Mark is like jumping over some details here. But that, that kind of piques my curiosity though when Mark's like, oh, but I gotta tell you about this. Like if Mark ever stops and says, I gotta tell you about one time, Mark doesn't stop to do much, okay? So if Mark stops to tell you about something, that's what's happening here. And specifically, we start out in Mark 10, the way Mark describes everything that Jesus does sometimes, is he says, and Jesus taught them, Mark 10, 1, as was, as was his custom in some translations. So Jesus is always, oh, here's an opportunity to teach a group of people. Let's do that. I think in this time, Mark's in the back and he's like, where are we going next? What's going to happen? Hey, Peter, what are we doing after this? You know, can I get a schedule? And Jesus is teaching. But this is a moment that Mark gives us here as we go down to verse 32, where Jesus pulls the 12 aside. And it's not a teaching for everybody. It's something that he's saying specifically. And what's on display here is his patience for me, his patience for you. Like we really get this glimpse of Jesus, the person who's in an interpersonal relationship. And while we weren't alive here, we didn't, this isn't about us. There's something for you that's in it. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. Verse 32, here's what happens. They were walking on the road going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. See, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This isn't a sermon to a town. This isn't a bunch of people that had happened upon the road and it's a, it's a moment and there's a rock and Jesus says, I've got some, some things to tell you about a kingdom that is coming. This is the 12 on a hike. 
And there's some people that are, are following in the distance and they're afraid. These are tense times. Jesus has said some difficult things in the last three days. Go read a third of Luke's gospel and you'll be like, Jesus said this and Jesus said this. And a, and a lot of people are not offended by Jesus. That just means they don't know what he really said. Because the more you get around Jesus, the more you're like, whoa, that's, that, I, don't, I don't like that. I mean, Jesus was saying some things that were, were tough, and they knew. Like, I'm telling you what, people know what's going on. If you don't know what's going on, just ask a high school student. I have one, right? They, they tell me all kinds of things. I would be, my wife's like, you have no idea what's happening sometimes. Like, oh, I got a Finley, right? They, like you, these people, they're like that. They, they know what's going on. So you know, they know the story on the street. You know what the story is on the street? Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and they hate him. And Jerusalem. They're trying to kill him as soon as they possibly can. There's fear on this journey up the road. So to calm their nerves, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to die. Right? <laughs> I mean, they're already afraid and they're following. They're, they're pensive, right? And he's had some difficult teaching and he's like, hey, I know you guys are really anxious. I just want to let you know about um, what's going to happen to me. It's going to be horrible. You wonder, how could they forget such a clear thing? I mean, there's this clarity. I mean, Jesus is giving exact details. Three, I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to rise. I'm going to be mocked upon. I'm going to be spit upon. Here's the delegation of people that are going to come and seize me. It will be our own people. Then I'll be handed over to the Gentiles. A lot of description that's in here. And you think, how in the world could they forget this? John 14 Jesus says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I have said to you. I love that, that Jesus is like, y'all, this has been a crazy couple years, right? And I've told you so much stuff that you're kind of in the, the fog of it all. Just the action of it all. And like, did Jesus just heal that guy over there? And like, oh, there's some, there's some people coming. I think they want to kill him. And we're getting a boat and there's a storm. I mean, you read this. This is like a, a, a crazy roller coaster of life events jammed in the three years. And Jesus says, hey, you're going to have a supernatural helper that's going to remind you of some of these things I said in a quiet moment like this one right here in Mark. On the way up to Jerusalem, I'm going to tell you exactly. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. He gives them this news, just the 12. Now the very next verse in verse 34, here's where I really want to point us to. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I've got children. I'd never agree to that. Hey, Dad, I'm going to ask you something. Whatever it is, will you just say yes? No, never. I'm never walking into that. Verse 36, he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus has been preaching about there's a kingdom that's coming. I'm the king of the kingdom. Like, I am ushering in a, a brand new reality. It's going to be 
better. This one's not good. The one I'm bringing, it's good. And they've been listening to him. And so they come up to him. And what they, what they clearly have to say is, Jesus, do whatever we ask of you. I'm all for underlining, writing notes in Bibles. So if you've got an app, do it. If you're like, nope, I've got perfect memory. Awesome. Write this on the Bible in your heart. Are you ready? The, the line I would write out of this, like the point I would make out of this that we say, because this isn't, we're not here, but it's, Jesus has recorded it miraculously and preserved it for you today. Here's the line. Jesus, do whatever we ask of you, because this is how we come to him, and it's not always bad to do that. He's a good, fa- he's a good father. He gives good gifts. He, he loves us. This is not a horrible thing. Jesus, do whatever we ask of you. Verse 34, verse 35 for there. You've got to stop for a moment and just see the irony. Man, I, one, one of the, I've got one child and we call him bad timing. That's, that's his nickname. Because, you know, he's not asking for bad stuff. His timing is just horrific, <coughs> right? We'll be in the middle of something and it's not advantageous for him to ask for it. And he'll be like, now's the time. I sense peace in the room. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stab at this. Jesus, if you just look at verse 32 <coughs> through 34, Jesus delivers this news. Bad things are going to happen. It's going to be horrible. I'm going to die. And these guys are like, should we ask him now? Yeah. Hey, Jesus, uh, that's great about your death and everything. But at the, at, when that's all done and there's a party, can we have good seats at the party? That's literally what's happening here right now. Jesus, do whatever we ask of you. you you've got to blush a little bit at, at their boldness. And also at the same time, you've got to understand that when they gloss over Jesus saying this, like I do it, I do that. I gloss over the things that Jesus has said to me. Jesus has said this to me. Um, if, if you're going to be a servant of mine, you won't be greater than me. No servant is greater than their master. And the son of man has no place to lay his head. And I'm like, yeah, but you know. I kind of have this boldness at times. It's misplaced and I, and I do it daily. And I gloss over some of the things that Jesus has called me to. And I'm just completely blown away by some of the things that, some of the specific things that I ask Jesus for. Because here's what I'm doing. And maybe, maybe you do this as well. I'm setting up my own reward system, right? I'm setting up my own reward system and very clearly what I would, I would put on all of us today through this kind of hike. And I want us to be on this hike with Jesus uh, just to picture it for a moment is this. We need to evaluate the reward that we're demanding that Jesus should give us. We need to evaluate the reward that we're demanding that Jesus wants to give us. I meet people all the time that say this. I've tried Jesus. Like I've tried Jesus and it didn't work for me. And I, I, I look right at him. I say, oh, I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Because you walked into it with a, a list of demands and a system set up for if you didn't get what you wanted, how you wanted, then you were going to opt out right away. And that's what's happening here right now. Jesus, do whatever we ask of you. These two had demands that they wanted fulfilled. And Jesus was willing to deliver something else. 
Instead of saying, Jesus, we're just surrendered to whatever's going to happen when we get to the top of this hill. I believe that this is your time to have a moment like this with Jesus where you make a, a different response than these guys. I believe the Holy Spirit will speak very clearly to you if you'll simply ask and say, God, help me evaluate the demands that I'm putting on you. Am I worshiping a Savior that I know was mocked so that I might be mocked? Am I worshiping a Savior that sacrificed everything and I know that I might be called to sacrifice everything? Or am I simply a part of just being caught up in something and am I worshiping a seat that I want to have, a place, a position, something in glory that I want? The next verse, verse 38 I love it when um, we're walking through a text together and the points, like I always put points up on the screen just to help focus. It's like, hey, what is saying? I, I, I love it when the points come right out, of, right out of the text, okay? If you're ever wondering, like, how does he come up with these points? Here's the point. I'm gonna put it up on the screen. You do not know what you're asking. So this is the point for us, okay? Now let's read the text. And you're like, well, where does he get these points? Here you go. Mark 10, verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. <laughs> See what happened there, right? So that, that's, that's how hard we got to search for what God's word is telling us. You, you, don't, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the cup? Cup in the Old Testament. If someone says, my cup, it's, it, it refers to destiny. Like that's my destiny. You, you, you might not be able to have the destiny that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized Jesus is talking about the service that he's called to, the experience that he's called to. They said to him, here's what they say. Yeah, we can. We are able. Lay it on us. Try me. I'm ready to do this. Uh, Matthew has this same thing. I mean, this is such an important deal, this moment and the, their experience with Jesus that some of the other synoptic gospels, eyewitnesses, these people who walked with Jesus wrote down an eyewitness account. Matthew has it too. And textual critics will be like, well, there's a, there's a flaw here because they've got details wrong. No, Matthew just adds more details because Mark's like, bro, here's what really happened. Like Mark's getting after it. Matthew's like, well, let me give you a few more details. It was Mrs. Zebedee. See, that James and John, they're the sons of Zebedee. Mrs. Zebedee got in on this, and she comes up to Jesus, and Matthew chapter 20 tells us that it is Mrs. Zebedee that's like, um, Lord, I've got a request for my kids. Now, here's how we know that, uh, that, it's, it's, that, that Mark is right on, because of this verse here, Matthew records it the same way. The boys are right behind Mama. They're not like, mom, don't do it. Mom, don't do it. Oh, mom, please don't. You're going to embarrass us. No, they're right behind her. And when Jesus says, okay, thank you, Mrs. Zebedee. Boys, do you think you can, you can drink what I'm going to drink? Right behind mom, they're like, we can do it. They've talked about it. They've discussed it. I would say that no, there, there has never been recorded more naive words than those right there in the history of humanity. Had no idea what was going to happen, even though Jesus had just said. I mean, there are three predictions in Mark's gospel that Jesus is like, hey, y'all, thanks for following me. I'm going to die. Three predictions. The first happens in uh, 
chapter 8, verse 31 here. And Jesus, it's Peter. Jesus looks at Peter and calls Peter, hey, you're being used by Satan. You think James and John were like, hey, he's up there walking alone right now. We should ask him about the seating arrangement. We don't want to be at table number nine with all the weird people. We want good seats at the party in heaven, right? Neither one of them was like, hey, you remember the last time that happened and Jesus like, called Peter Satan? That was awkward for all of us. That, that didn't come up in their conversation. They're like, maybe he's forgotten about that. The second time when Jesus gives a passion prediction, this is when Jesus says, I'm gonna go and die. The first time Peter said, no, you won't. Stop it, Satan. The second time, it happens in 931. Just like a, a few days before this, and they're talking about who's gonna be the greatest. That doesn't end well either. Jesus is rebuking them in that moment. We get here and these guys are like, let's try it one more time. I think we got Jesus tired. It's a big hill, right? Maybe we could get something in writing, right? He'll forget about it, but we got it. We got it in writing. We get good seats. Let's get the tickets. Here it is. They're going to reveal their misunderstanding of the nature of the kingdom. And may, like we're going to read this, this next verse. And just before like this, it's about them. But maybe God reveals something in our hearts as we kind of stand in that place because we've asked Jesus, Jesus, do whatever we want. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Here's his gentle but, but very direct response. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. We believe that James was the first to die. He was killed in Jerusalem, most likely thrown off the, the walls of the temple for proclaiming that Jesus was the Son of God. They're like, if he's the Son of God, let's see if he'll save you right now. And they threw him off. He died right there in the city. John was probably, because the youngest was the last to, to live, he was caught up in the book of Revelation, saw heaven recorded, book of Revelation, this incredible book of hope. He was old in age when that happened, but it still looks like John was even uh, killed as a martyr for his death. Jesus looked right at him and said, this will happen. You will have my destiny. You will have the experience that I had because you're going to testify to my father. But he says this, and it's so important that we catch it. The seats, like the places of honor that you're talking about that you want to get, you want that ticket for yourself right now, here's who it goes to. My father's going to give that to who it's prepared for. I mean, Jesus is constantly in unity with the Spirit and the Father. This statement right here is yet one more time where he defers to the Father's will. He's showing his submission, his surrender, and his complete obedience to the Father. But that prepared statement is very, it's very telling about our lives. See, there are some things in our lives that God has prepared for us. And I just want to clue you into how you know what that is. You're like, ooh, goody, what's prepared for me? Well, if there's something in your life right now that's really annoying, that's probably prepared for you. If there's something in your life right now that brings you incredible discomfort and you don't like it, that's probably prepared for you. Jennifer and I were 
at a church in Wilkinson, Indiana. We, you know, we are working pretty much full-time jobs while we were in college. Uh, Jennifer was a nanny for a family. I, I worked as a courier downtown in Cincinnati. And then, you know, we, we had full school schedules. Uh, we, we had a baby on the way. And we, we got this opportunity to go out to this beautiful country church in Wilkinson, Indiana. And they said, what we want you to do, uh, we want you to come and, get, and start a, a contemporary worship service for us. Uh, they had a traditional service. Uh, and I knew all those hymns, you know, we used hymns and, and they, and so I went one Sunday and I watched and I'm like, yeah, I, I, I know all the, I pretty much all the hymns. I can just stand up there and lead that. And they said, we want you to do that. And then we're going to start a new contemporary service and, uh, you can do it out here in the, the new, they pretty much had a gymnasium. You can come and do it in the gymnasium. And, uh, I looked at Jennifer and I said, they're going to kill us. They don't, they don't want this, right? They say they want, they don't, they don't want, I mean, we were, this is what we did. We, we were in a big city of Cincinnati, you know, drums, guitars. We had a, a massive all college service every Wednesday night that we led. And um, I'm like, this, all my, I looked out and I saw all my grandmas and I'm like, I love, I love my grandma. I don't, I don't want to put her through this. She doesn't want this. And Donna played the organ. Donna was so good at the organ. Donna really led the service. I did not lead the service. Let's be clear. Donna led the service. And the first Sunday someone got baptized, you know, I'm the worship pastor. And Donna just rips into this song on the organ. And everyone in the church stood up and they're like, now I belong to Jesus. I'm, I'm up there with the microphone. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Donna led the service, okay? She was fully in control. And we would do the traditional service and we would go out to this horrible sounding can and play drums. It was a nightmare. A lot of people got upset at that, at that process of us starting a, a contemporary service. And um, Donna and her husband, really sweet people, they, they were just always so supportive and they would come and listen to the sermon again and she would sit on this front row and not be a part of the band. And we were at their house one night and um, you know people were just upset about everything about the worship service. And I, I told Donna, I was like, hey, Donna, I want to thank you for all of your support and just loving us through this process because it's so, it's so hard, right? And she was like, yeah, we, we can't stand it. We can't stand your music. <laughs> She's like, we don't, we don't hate it, but we don't like it at all. And I'm like, Donna, you're so supportive. You're so, why are you doing this? She's like, because it's completely uncomfortable and we think God's calling us to do things that we don't like. And we, we, we love you, but we hate what you're doing. <laughs> I've never felt so loved before in my life <laughs> by just the honesty of that. Like it was, it was so deep and rich and real. And you know what it was? Really, It was what Jesus calls us to. She's like, she's like, I'll, I'll wear sunglasses for the lights. I'll put on big ear earmuffs, you know. I, she, she would carry her own light down the aisle just to be able to see, right? She's like, I don't, I don't care. I, I'm doing things in my life that call me to holiness. And there's something in your life that you don't like at all. And that is the thing that God has prepared for you. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on what seat you get in glory. Here's what happens in verse 41. I mean, just picture them. They, they run up to get with Jesus. So like, can we get the best seats? 
He's like, you don't know what you're asking for. You, guys, you, you don't understand. You're going to have my story, but the seats, the Father's going to decide depending upon what's prepared for you and how you, how you dive into that with holiness and put your arms around discomfort in your life, that's going, that's going to be what determines your seat. Here's what always happens. It happens here in verse 41. This happens in your life. When the 10 heard it, this is the other, the rest of the 12. When the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. They're like, what are they up there doing? They're not mad because they thought that these guys, you know, they're not mad. It's like, how dare them think that they deserve seats better than ours? I think they're mad because those guys thought of it first, <laughs> right? They're like, man, they got Jesus alone. We should have done that. That was a great idea. Just ask for the seat. Jesus is so nice. He probably gave it to them. Here's what I want to point out to you. When we're striving for something less than holiness in our lives, it's going to upset people around us. When we're striving for anything less than the holiness that God's called us to and get dirty about it, like being willing to be a servant, here's what's going to happen. We are going to upset people around us. Some of you are like, well, there's all kinds of people upset around me. I must be really holy. No, that's different. <laughs> no, that's, that's, see, people are going to be upset no matter what, right? Because when you try to be holy, there's a, there's a whole other delegation of people that they're going to be mad at that, Right? Oh, you're, I mean, come on. People are going to be mad. It's why they're mad that counts. <laughs> These guys are upset in verse 41. They're indignant. Here's, here's the, the, the end of the text and my final, my final point. And you'll see that uh, the, this, is, this is great. Let's put it up on the screen. Uh, but it shall not be so among you. The point, it shall not be so among you. Jesus has the two. And he brings everyone into the conversation. And here's what he says. This is the point. This is not what it's going to be like among you. Verse 42, Jesus called them to him. He calls the 10. And he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be. Be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as ransom for many. Maybe we don't know what we're asking. Maybe we've just not evaluated properly the whole thing that Jesus calls us to. Salvation forever in paradise with the Lord who has prepared a place for me. Boom, I'm in. Yes, great deal. Jesus is like, well, I'm still talking. I'm still talking. All throughout Mark's gospel, all throughout the, the four synoptic gospels, these eyewitness accounts, we got four reports. I was with them. What did he call us to? All of them immediately would be like, make no doubt about it. Suffering, mocking, shame, and servanthood. Man, you're not going to win people like that, Jesus. We, gotta, we need to get a marketing team to like spice up your, 
your appeal to people. And Jesus, there's no, no marketing team has done anything on this. If you really just get back to what he said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be slave of all. And even I, the son of God, came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That verse, that word ransom, verse 45, Latron, it means money paid to release slaves. That word is only used two times in the whole New Testament. It's a very exact word. It's someone who is in slavery in a dollar amount. A resource is paid to rescue them from slavery. This one verse contains the clearest statement in all of the world about the object of Christ's coming. In the entire Gospels, this right here is the clearest message that Jesus could say. And you can, you can think about this this afternoon. You can think about it this week. And people can say to you, man, I know who Jesus is. If, you, if you're on this, you know exactly who he is and exactly what he's called you to. Holiness through servanthood. I'll say something bold as we close. Jesus didn't come to help. Jesus didn't come to help. Jesus came to save helpless people. I mean, help, sometimes help isn't that great, you guys. I mean, help compared to servanthood. Jesus came to serve you, not help you. Let me, let me just show you the distinction. A helper helps other people when it's convenient. That's what help does. A servant serves other people when it's inconvenient. Jesus did that. Jesus is calling you to do that if you're a believer. A helper helps people that he or she likes. A servant serves people that he or she dislikes, even when they're shaming him, mocking him, and killing him literally. That's what a servant does. Jesus says, among you, that's what you are. This is the clearest thing about the gospel ever. If you don't consider yourself a believer, this is what you're really evaluating. Give me whatever I want, Jesus. You don't know what you're asking. This is what I want, Jesus says. A helper helps when he or she enjoys the work. A servant serves even when he or she dislikes the work. A helper helps when the circumstances are convenient. A helper helps with the view to obtain personal satisfaction. A servant, a, a servant serves when he or she receives no personal satisfaction. A helper helps with this attitude of assisting another. Hey, I showed up to assist you today. A servant serves with an attitude of enabling another. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come to help you but to save you? You know what help is? It's helpful. Oh, did you help? Did you help me today? Thanks for helping me today. Jesus didn't come to help you. Jesus came to save you and to serve you. And he calls us to serve Peter, do you know that Peter wasn't accepted as the leader? Everyone's like, well, Peter was the leader. And I bring this up for this point. There's infighting among these guys. That, I mean, that's what's going on, right? I want to be, I'm jockeying for position. I'm jockeying for placement. I'm jockeying for prestige or payoff or pride or something that's owed to me. And Jesus shows up and says, that is exactly the attitude that's the opposite of what I want in my kingdom. Do you know how I know Peter wasn't viewed as the leader? James and John were like, hey, can we have the best seats? P 
Peter was just the loudest. Peter was always like, I got a thought on that. There was infighting in this group about who was really going to lead. Jesus is like, I'm going to go die a death on the cross. And they're like, yeah, about that. Who's in charge when you're gone? I mean, like, exactly. And Jesus looks at them and says one thing. Do you see how the world runs its business? And he says this, not so among you. The, the NASB, a different translation. But it is not this way among you. The, the new King James Version. Yet it shall not be among you. The NRSV version. But it is not so among you. The TEV. This, however, is not the way it is among you. The New Jerusalem Bible translation. Among you, this must not happen. It shall not be like this among you. Dirty is the new holy. How do we get holy and get dirty? And Jesus says, you're not going to do it the way the world does it. The world says, get there, own it, reign over it, clamp it down, make sure you're in charge. And Jesus says, no, this will not be the way of those who follow me. So very clear. You can find out if you're following Jesus right now by how you're serving, how you're going after stuff. Jesus says, it won't be the mark of my people. It won't be how things are. It won't be our culture. It won't be the norm. It won't be what everyone just needs to get used to. Well, that's just how the church is. You just need to get used to it. Jesus says it won't be the way the church is and we won't get used to it. Among my people, we will be striving to serve and outserve one another because it's a mark of me and my kingdom. So that means if we're not doing that, we're building our own kingdom. It won't be how we accept. That's just how Christians are. He won't accept it. He won't bless it. He won't look at this and say, well done, good and faithful servant. It won't be what wins people to Jesus. It won't be what leads to eternal life. It won't be what gives peace that passes understanding. It shall not be among you that you would fight for position. Instead, you should fight to serve one another. Dear friends, do you need to evaluate some of the things that you've said? Jesus, unconditionally, carte blanche, will you give me what I'm about ready to ask you? And he says to you, here's what he's saying to you. I've got something better to give to you than what you're asking me right now. I wanna give you holiness. I wanna give you holiness. Holiness is the thing that you want. Holiness is what's gonna bless your family. Holiness is what's gonna give you joy. And anything that we are chasing that is not the holiness of God is gonna lead us to disappointment. I wanna invite you to stand. We're gonna sing as we close out this service. We're gonna <coughs> call upon the Lord. And I would ask as we lift our voices up that you just say, Lord Jesus, would you, would you push me towards servanthood? And would you help me walk away from demanding my own reward system? in giving you what you truly want to have in my life, a road of holiness. May the Holy Spirit identify the things that are uncomfortable in our lives that Jesus says, that's what I've got prepared for you. Dig into that. That's the way. Father God, send your spirit right now in this moment to reveal our hearts to us that you would be making us more and more holy through the power of your spirit. It's in your name we sing. Amen.